feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? And welcome back to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about what we did over our 100 episode break, I guess. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. We're excited to be back. I have been working on the website. Turns out I am terrible at web development. So the website is up. It is still our website that you're used to, but I'm trying to shift it over to a new platform and it's just been a nightmare. So I am figuring it out slowly but surely. And if anybody has a recommendation for, you know, actually, I think there actually is a book on WordPress for dummies, but I'm a dummy and I'm trying to switch to WordPress. So it's actually, actually there is WordPress for dummies and we have it at our local library. How many years old is it, though? That's the problem I always have when I find these four dummies book. It was like written in 1995. I'm like, they That's usually a come different. out with a new one every couple of years. <laughs> OK, because uh, the big problem I'm coming across and maybe somewhere out there has an easy fix. I would like to have two separate blogs on there, one for transcripts, one for the fun stuff we do sometimes like the 10 days of Shabermas. If you have an idea, please let me know. And as you may have already noticed, we have theme music now. Yes, I'm so excited. At the beginning of the episode, you heard our new theme song. I probably should have led with that, but I mean, the they already they already knew. Now we're just acknowledging it. We're not making people think they're crazy or anything. So, our opening theme music was from a musician I found on Fiverr, Fiverr with two Rs at the end. And I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name. Uh it is Nilgun Ozer. N-I-L-G-U-N-O-Z-E-R. That is her name on Fiverr as well. She is an independent musician. She's available on Spotify, Apple, all music markets. And she writes wonderful jingles for podcasts. As you can see, I'm so excited about our new intro. She is lovely to work with. So if you are looking for somebody to write a jingle for you or any of the other things that she does, I highly recommend her. Again, you spell it N. I-L-G-U-N-O-Z-E-R, all one word if you are on Fiverr, and check her out otherwise, because she's she's just great. Yes. So that is another thing we did over our two-week break from the podcast. I told you we were going to be doing podcast stuff over the two weeks. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact that I did that in the last couple of days. I did, a lot of it was me looking on Fiverr for the perfect person, and I kept coming back to her. And seriously, the whole thing took three days. Like, yeah, it was it was, an, it was a fast turnaround. Yeah, it was amazing. Let's see. We have also, you know, okay, adulthood sucks. I want to put that out there. Like we've been dealing with utility companies. We got, I think we got the new roof before we last talked to all of yes, you. Yes, we did. We've been tearing all the stuff out of our yard. And if we sound different today, it's because we had a mattress in our podcast studio. And now there is no mattress in here. So it might sound different. I don't know. We are planning on putting up some like soundproofing in here, but I have to tear down the ceiling first and I am so excited. And that might also mean finally tearing at least a little into the hollow space behind me. Obviously, I'm I'm curious. We're going to have to, I think we're going to have to do that live. I think we're going to do that on video at the very least. And I'm just, I'm so excited to do, it turns out that my way of handling stress is to destroy things. Yeah. Usually she just does it by destroying my happiness, but now she's destroying physical things. 
I took out like four bushes by hand, and I'm talking like bushes with tree tree stems. And also in a half not hour. by hand. She used tools. She I didn't like start I... gnawing on them like some kind of beaver. I had a lopper. I didn't have any power tools. How's that? Okay. So our yard is, and poor Austin, he came home. And he did tell me I did a good job, but I watched him stand outside. He put both hands on his head just to stare at it because he was like, I thought this was going to take several months because uh, I'm allergic to everything. Turns out if I wear long sleeves and use loppers, I can do this. Yeah. So I know this is not like the most exciting thing in the world, but we're putting it out there because this is the kind of stuff nobody tells you about homeownership that, you know, they say it's going to be cheaper than renting. Well, you're in charge of the new roof. You're in charge of the re- of the gardening. You're in charge of the freaking big trash pickup that never happens. Then you have to do battle with them. So it's been it's been a hard couple of weeks in a lot of ways, um, both in terms of just adulthood and some yeah. some rough things but, that happened. Hey, but don't worry because we're we are, also we watched a lot of TV. We did watch a lot of TV. We got through all of the circle. We got through. We're completely caught up on Only Murders in the Building, which you should watch if you haven't. The most recent episode, and when this comes out, there might be another new one already. But the most recent one is really good. They're all really good because uh, you know praise Selena Gomez and of course Martin Short and Steve Martin. But and um, my personal hero Nathan Lane. Oh my god, Nathan Lane never disappoints. Yeah, he's always good. None of these actors ever disappoint. Even though one of the movies that's recommended to us on our Chromecast is a Selena Gomez 10% Rotten Tomatoes movie, so now we have to watch it. Yeah. It's like anything else? Um, I want to watch Squid Game because I keep hearing more and more about it. We are going to have a Halloween movie festival, like the movie, the Halloween series. Yeah. And we're excited about that because it is October. It is our favorite month or my favorite month. It's my favorite month, too. And we still, you know, this year we can't do our normal Halloween party because COVID. We, we've seen people, we've done, like, we did my mom's birthday party yesterday, which I think went really well, it, even though the food did not get ready until, like, a full hour after. But it's okay. But these are all people we know for sure are vaccinated and wear masks everywhere and all that. And while we fully do believe all of our friends are vaccinated, we don't want to take additional risks, especially because we will be coming right, we'll be back from New York just a few days before Halloween. Yeah. And hopefully, um, hopefully Hades Town will still be running because that's what we're going to see. But as you might have seen, Aladdin closed down after one performance when a bunch of their people had breakthrough cases, who are all, last I heard, doing very well because they are breakthrough cases. They are not yeah. normal COVIDs. So with any luck, we'll be in New York watching a show in a few weeks. Yep, we're going to see. And, you know, the nice thing is they did say if COVID happens, we you can cancel your tickets. You can reschedule. I already rescheduled our plane tickets because they changed it. So we were getting there in the evening, which lost a whole day. And I was like, fuck that. So the nice thing about the no fee changes right now is you only have to pay the price difference on the tickets, which I think might be a fee, but I'm that's, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so last week or last episode, we did something a little weird where I researched for Austin. Austin researched for me. It's so weird because we're facing each other for the first time ever since the mattress is gone. Well, it's like, we usually, we could kind of like, it was just like, kind of like a side eye looking at each other, which is how we met. That is literally true, actually. We met because I saw him out of the audience. Um, But it's funny because we can't see each other's lower faces. I'm like, man, if the last 18 months of masks hadn't prepared us for us, we would have no idea what the other person is thinking. I'm more used to it. I didn't even notice I couldn't see the lower half of your face. Yeah, I don't go places. So I guess, who do you want to go first this week since we did a bunch of switching around last week? I don't know. We can start fresh. Do you want to go first or shall I? I'll go first. Okay. All right. So let's get into will this be on the test? 
So as I mentioned, Austin and I have been working on home repairs for the last um, 11,000 years. And I wrote a post on Facebook about a week or two ago saying how I never could have done any of this without my theater training. Home repairs. Then we were watching the Tonys, and they mentioned that tons of schools in America have no arts whatsoever and even fewer have theater, which kind of pissed me off. And it made me realize I've never talked about the importance of theater education despite talking about being a theater educator. So that's what I'm talking about today is the importance of theater education. I was a theater kid a theater major, than a theater teacher. And I can tell you from experience what people who don't know, who have never been in that situation, think theater for young people is. Oh my God, that is so fun. You must have so much fun playing with those kids all day. It's just so much games and fun. And it was fun. I enjoyed this, but it was also a lot of literal and figurative blood, sweat, and tears. You develop a bond with these kids that you don't when you're another teacher. And I was other types of teachers. I did develop bonds with my students, but there is something special about theater. They only ever get to see the end result, which is, you know, the little showcases or the play. They never see the process, which all involves developing life skills. It's not about games. And when we do play games, they have a purpose that we would discuss with the students afterwards. Why did we play this game? What was the importance of this? Which also should happen when they use them at, you know, team building things at businesses. Why did we do this game? Oh my God. Nothing is more awkward than watching a bunch of librarians who are all like extreme introverts uh, be forced to do theater team building games at like a conference. Mm -hmm. It's like none of them want to be there and they're all uncomfortable and it's just so awkward. Fun fact, I was a theater teacher, hated them myself. We did these types of things at my, at my professional development things for schools and um, my in-services hated them, hated them so much. I thought they were mishandled because the people running them didn't understand. They would just say, this is team building. They, they didn't understand why it was team building. They didn't understand the need to build up trust before you got to it. You, you can't do this yeah. when you've got the new person there who doesn't know or trust anybody yet. So they never get to actually see the product product because they never saw the process. They saw the play, but the play is not the final product. The product is who you become as a person. It's been, I've been in theater for well over 30 years and I am 35. Like this has been my entire life. And I'm still realizing what skills I gained from it. All the time I'm going, oh, I learned that because I was in theater, not because of anybody who tried to teach me or because I read about it on the internet. And to preempt the, oh, so you think theater belongs in schools? You obviously hate music classes and regular art classes and stuff. No, go listen to my episode on logical fallacies and then either come back here to finish this episode or go to hell. Your choice. Because you can care about more than one thing at a time. Yes, you can. And I actually do think all the arts are equally important. <gasps> I think uh, family and consumer sciences are facts equally important. Woodshop, important. P.E., believe it or not, even though I have some like legit trauma related to P.E. as a kid, equally important. I, however, I believe this. I, however, will go to my grave saying that sculpture is a waste of time. No one should learn sculpture. You never took sculpture. I did and I hated it. You did? Yeah. I remember you saying you took that stamping class. Printmaking. Yeah. You liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 3D art is for suckers. 2D art's where it's at, yo. Um... I think he's trying to get under my skin, knowing that I have my background as props. 
Yeah. And so everything I've done is 3D art. I'm actually really not good at 2D art at all. <laughs> so I'm actually going to be talking about arts and theater, and then I'm going to dive directly into theater itself a little more. Um, arts encompasses everything, uh, regular art, visual, performing, including theater. That's the arts. Theater itself is acting, technical theater, and if you're lucky, your school also has other things. As of 2020, 44 states required districts and schools to offer some kind of art at all levels. However, 32 of those states define it as a core academic subject. This is an important distinction. Requiring it as something kids have to do, which is the overall 44, uh, means pretty much whatever you want as long as they have an art class at some point is good. I taught in a state that was one of these. They required art at all levels and they required PE at all levels once a week. An art teacher or a music teacher or a PE teacher, and I think they rotated their weeks, would show up for 20 minutes for each grade. I think they put the entire grade in one room and had them do 20 minutes of these subjects. This includes PE, which was held in a regular classroom. We did not have a gym, or if we did, it was flooded because seriously, guys, this happens in wealthy districts too. And they couldn't do it outside because there was a good chance they were going to get shot. And I wish I was making this up. Fund our schools appropriately, please, so that they can have the indoor gyms. You can't control where the schools are necessarily or where people are going to get shot, but you can control whether they have a gym. Yeah. So this is K through five, meaning for six years, these kids had 20 minutes a week of these subjects, which is not enough to learn to love them. Then there's the 32 of those 44 states that required as a core academic subject, which typically means that students have to take a certain number of minutes of a type of class every quarter, trimester, semester, year, or total. So I believe in our state, it's a certain number of minutes either per year or per all four years, which is why Austin and I, we only need to take two semesters of PE in high school. There are other states where you have to take it all four years of high school. We only had to take two semesters of an art class, I believe. In other states, they require four years of art. Now, both Austin and I were like, art classes, yes! And we it took was, as many as we could. I mean, I was, I was definitely, I wasn't a theater kid, but I was an arts kid. Like, I, lots of drawing, printmaking, orchestra. Yes. And I did visual art. I did photography. I did theater. I did forensics. I was also a debate kid for two years. Um, and by the time I got to my senior year, I took summer school every summer. Uh, not because I needed to, but because I just wanted to get classes that I didn't like out of the way in two weeks. <laughs> And that was PE and all of my computer credits. And again, I have nothing against PE. I just, I personally was not fit to be in PE classes. That meant my senior year, I got to take like nothing but art classes my second semester. I could have graduated early. Um, if I just changed things a little bit, I could have graduated early. Instead, I was like, no, I'm going to go to all of my senior year and I'm going to do nothing but art second semester. And it was the best. So because of this, 44 states requiring it at all, that means we have six states that don't require any arts education. And then I don't know what DC does because it was not included on this list. I think they require arts. Now, this does not mean these six states do not have arts in their schools. It just means they don't have they don't have to. Just like in any state that requires them as a core class or requires them to some extent, it doesn't mean that they're all going to only have 20 minutes once per week it, or once per month. It could mean that they do have these long, you have to take a lot. But when you are unlucky and in a school or a district that requires almost none, not only are you losing out on the skills that you develop from art, which I'll get into a little bit more here in a second, you lose out on scholarships. 
there are significantly more scholarships in the arts than in sports, yet almost every school has some kind of sports affiliation. Now, I'll say the PE teachers and the sports coaches were my biggest allies as a theater teacher. I have zero bad things to say about PE teachers uh, other than the ones I had growing up. I have zero bad things to say about sports. Sports are important. What I'm saying is there are fewer sports scholarships just by pure numbers. If your kid is good at playing the viola, let them play the goddamn viola because they can get a scholarship for that more easily than they can get a football scholarship. Yeah, there are like nine violists total. Mm-hmm. Let your kid play the viola. There Please. Are, there are Please more, let more kids play the viola. There are more theater scholarships than there are uh, sports scholarships. Because think about how small sports teams are. And then think about how few of those kids have any meaningful scholarship to begin with. But then think about how big marching bands are. Even if we imagine the same percentage of marching band kids as football kids get scholarships to college, that's still significantly more. So let your kids take art classes because it raises their chance at, it raises their ability to apply for different scholarships. If nothing else, if nothing else matters to you. Uh, but one has to wonder if this lacking in arts education requirements has to do with the fact that in the last, um, the last art education report by the Department of Education is over 10 years old. What? Now think about 10 years ago. Okay. We were not in school 10 years ago. No. I, I would like to pretend we were, but we weren't. We were in school 15-ish years ago. A little longer than that. Yeah. And as Austin knows, the amount of arts in schools has gone down since then, and it's gone down significantly in the last few years. If the Department of Education would actually do a real study on this, that might help because there are so many other studies proving the merits of arts and theater, but the Department of Education makes the rules and they don't have to look at these studies. So if they would just do them, looking at you, whoever the dude is in charge of the Department of Ed now, who I remember I was like not a huge fan of. Because yeah. he was like, yay, test. And I was like, screw you. Um, yeah, do that study. Find this out. Because if you love tests so much, you're going to love the arts. Let's start with some hard evidence. They have done, they have done uh, studies frequently over the years that show consistently and more and more that kids who are involved with the arts score higher on their SATs. The more arts classes they took, the higher their SAT scores are. So if you took one semester of an art class, you do tiny bit better. If you took four solid years of arts, you did significantly better. We are at the point with the number of studies of this subject that we can no longer really say it's correlation. We kind of have to say it's causation. That because of the pure number of studies. Like, can it be correlation? Sure. But I kind of doubt it after dozens. And then let's take a look at theater itself. Think about how many plays you had to read in school, like an English class. Hated them, right, though? Pretty much. Uh, oh, God. Especially The Crucible. I loved The Crucible. But I, I don't know why I loved The Crucible. Because a guy got crushed by rocks? No, they didn't really show that in that show. Oh. Um, because my, th my teacher, we weren't able to see a production of The Crucible, but he understood that we needed to be able to hear it because theater is meant to be performed, not read. So he brought in an audio recording of The Crucible. And it was, I honest to God, on cassette tapes. That is how oh old this God. was. He brought in a little tape player and he played us um, parts where Tichibo was talking, especially because he's like, I understand that you might be having a hard time understanding the way that Tichiba is written. So here's what she sounds like. Maybe that will help you when, when you're reading it, hear it in your head. And some of the other characters were in there, too. And it really did help you understand it. I'm going to be getting more into this in a future episode. But he understood Ooh. that you needed more than one kind of input to really understand a play. The reason that Julius Caesar is my favorite Shakespeare play 
not Hamlet, not Macbeth, which you might expect on both cases, not even Othello, um, King Lear. Because this same teacher who Austin probably remembers as this scary, stodgy old man, because you knew who he was. Oh, yeah. Um, I loved him because he understood. Like, once he got over being the scary guy who told you not to take his class when you were a freshman, he... I didn't think of him as scary. He just seemed like a... Like a fuddy-duddy. He was amazing. He was fun. He was funny. He made references to Wayne's world. And when we got to King Lear, he was like, I need you to picture, or not King Lear, sorry, Julius Caesar. I love King Lear too. When he got to Julius Caesar, he's like, I need you to picture the death scene. And he acted out Julius Caesar's death and the facial expressions that Julius Caesar would have made when he realized his friends were the one killing him. And the et tu brute, you know, we read that and it's like, et tu brute, okay. But it's actually this, this person looking at his best friend and going, out of all the people I've ever met in my life, I would expect this the least from you. This hurts more than dying. And he was able to get that across just by acting out this 30 seconds of this show. I love Julius Caesar because of him, because he acted it. Theater is meant to be acted, not read. Shakespeare would be horrified if we were studying his plays at all, but especially <laughs> because we were just sitting there reading them. I wrote this while I was <clears throat> drunk and in a barn. Pretty much. So the educational researcher decided to see what was the best way to have students experience plays. When students watched a movie of a play, they grasped it a little better than when they had just read it. But when they saw the play live, regardless of whether it was professional production or one done in their own school, they understood the plot, the vocabulary, and every other aspect of the play much more clearly. In addition, these kids showed higher levels of socio-emotional skills afterwards. They were able to like, look at it and go, these kids are relating to each other better after seeing one play live. Now, is that a permanent change? Probably not. But if you do it over and over and over and it becomes just a natural skill. Ooh. Yeah. So seeing the play live has a different um, a different ending than seeing the play done on screen. Now, sometimes that is your only option. Like my kids studied Newsies. We watch it on screen because I can't just take them to see Newsies. We read a play in class. If I could find a local production and I could get the money, I would go take them. Because there is a difference between seeing it on screen. Like right, Austin and I, we saw Fences. Yeah. Um, Which was good, but seeing mm -hmm. it on stage would be very different. Like we've seen, was it Raisin in the Sun on stage? Yeah. So good. And it's, I'm not saying it was the same play. Like, because they're not. Yeah. But you get like a different emotional drag, even though they're supposed, they, they have similar levels of emotionality to them. Uh, but it's not just plays that you read. Fourth graders whose English and history teachers used theater in their classrooms were nearly 100% more likely to pass the state language arts tests. Really? If they integrated art and theater into their classes, but especially theater, their kids were nearly 100% more likely to pass the test. Because when you get up and engage with a material, even if it's not meant to be acted, when you step into these characters' shoes, you are more likely to pass their test. I will tell you, I've seen kids jump three grade levels in reading with me teaching English, not because I'm an amazing teacher, but because theater is an amazing tool. Well, not just because you're an amazing teacher. You know I will never take credit for this. I will yeah. give all the credit to theater. Um, and then let's not forget science and math, you know, the subjects that actually matter. Yeah. Using theater in science class allows them to experience the concepts, communicate better about the concepts, and collaborate on projects better. This has all been studied. This is not me just talking out of my ass. Using theater has also been shown to show to help actual scientists. They have studied scientists. They have let art researchers in and sociologists in to study the scientists and compare them based on whether or not they had theater backgrounds. <laughs> scientists succeed more 
in understanding and communicating and collaborating than the non-theater scientists. And I want to emphasize this point by saying you have these brilliant minds currently going on TV and saying, take the vaccine. We have done the work. Wah, 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 Charlie Brown teacher. In one ear and out the other. But then we have people on both sides who convince their followers to take or not take the vaccine because they know how to put on a show. They know how to hit you in the gut. They know the emotional impact. That's why we need, that's why commercials have actors in them telling you what to do. Not Fauci, who, I mean, you know, I mean, Fauci's doing what he can, but I he mean, is I not. Li- I listen to him, but. We listen to him, but Fauci, honestly, he's not interesting to watch. He's no Morgan Freeman. No. And then let's look at the scientists we do listen to. Bill Nye. I did a whole episode on him a long time ago. Uh, you'll know that he's actually a trained comedic actor. And then we've got Neil deGrasse Tyson who I want to punch in the face because he got rid of Pluto, but whatever. He didn't get rid of Pluto. It but, was okay. a gr- He was just part of the pe- group Austin. that did it. It was, it was a consensus among scientists. Why do people blame him? Because he was the big one. He was out front for it. He is the one. Can you name a single other one? No. And it's not because he was the one who made the big announcement. It's because he is the most charismatic. He knows how to reach people. And he has actually said the way we teach science isn't effective because it's black and white with little room for creative thinking. They are told this is science. Science does not change, which is a problem because science changes. Yes. If science like what what is true does not change. But our understanding of what is true does change. Um he says that arts education can make people into better scientists and speakers. Uh, the way to teach others is really through art that has been empowered by science and engineering, not just science and engineering. So like, if you look at the Colosseum, you are seeing art. That's what you think is this is a beautiful building. Yeah. The building exists because of science and engineering. And so you might look at it and go, this is beautiful. How did they do that? And that's how you get to the science and engineering. Yeah, because I, um, be, being a guy... Uh, I have been exposed to way too many STEM bros who are like, oh, we only need to know this stuff. It's like math is in and of itself is beautiful. It's like, no, it's not. You need you need the art. Well, and also, like, think about the papers they write. Yeah. This comes back in a second. You read a science paper, you read a math paper. It is unreadable Mm -hmm. to people who aren't in the field in most cases. And it's dry. And you don't care why this matters. Even if you're another scientist, you're like, okay, I get that I'm supposed to care, but I kind of don't. So I get back to this in a minute. The writing part. And then what about math, you ask? Theater can't possibly help with math. Okay, first of all, you have to memorize where you're moving at all times. That is just geometry. (laughs) And I can't tell you how much geometry I had to do as a director and a set builder and a designer. I had to know the exact size of my stage, the exact size of each set piece, how people could maneuver around them, the rough size of each of my kids. I mean, I don't, I didn't stand there and measure them to make sure they could like move places. But like, if I, if, you know, if I taught little kids, I could have less space between. If I taught high schoolers, I could have, I needed more space between things. Um, theater just is geometry. Like, I should show you the images of the work I was doing. And since theater has no funding, there's a lot of arithmetic, too. How much money do we have? How much money do I have to take out of my own pocket as the theater teacher to make sure the show happens? The answer is about 10% of my salary. But we have another big issue. So like, let's say you're convinced. You're like, yeah, this should be here. Yeah. Inequity. Wealthier and whiter schools are more likely to have the arts. These are the same schools, wealthier and whiter schools, where they're already more likely to graduate because they have a support system in place. 
so we've got schools where kids are already less likely to graduate, less likely to perform well in their SATs, not because they are less smart, but because they have fewer resources and spend all day in math and science and never learn the soft skills. And if math, science, English and history, if that's like, if you are not a student, if you are not a student and academia is what you want, the arts are why you go to school or maybe maybe PE. You don't go to school because of the core subjects. I'm saying that as a core subject teacher. I mean, I loved English enough to have that be why I went to school. Most people don't. Most people don't have a love for any subject that much. Like Austin, I think, is the same way. He had subjects he loved, but if you were given the option to drop out or continue taking whatever class that was, drop out with no consequences, dropping out. Yeah. Um, But if it was, you know, you have orchestra and you really enjoyed this orchestra class and you also have this print making class you really enjoy, but those will be taken away from you if you drop out. I had kids who quite honestly only came to school for theater. This was a known thing that I worked with their parents on because they're like, the only way we can get them to come to school is because of theater class. Can we get them to have extra theater classes through the day? Can we have you work directly with them on these different? Yes, absolutely. And I know the other arts teachers had the same thing. And I know the PE teachers had the same thing. Kid, I'm not saying no kid comes to school just for math and science, but I'm saying more kids come to school just for their art classes. This is also statistically proven. Yeah. Then we go down to elementary. Did you have theater class in elementary school? No. I did not either. Only 4% of elementary schools have theater instruction because it doesn't make sense at all to have a class on social skills, communication, and emotional regulation when you have small children, right? Yeah, they're already so good at all of those things. Mm-hmm. Let's go up. Only 28% of high schools in high poverty areas offer theater in- instruction. 20%. And these are in high poverty. That's It is higher in low poverty areas, but it's still not high. I think it's below 50% almost across the board. And these are things that have been studied so many times to help kids academically and socially. And I couldn't find stats on this, but if they are lucky enough to have a program at all, most of the teachers, especially if they only do after-school programs, are not theater educators. They have no training in theater education. They are extremely well-meaning English teachers or music teachers who I love them for doing it, but they don't have the training. And some of them do go out of the way. They get the training. They try so hard because they understand the importance of this. But you really do need an actual theater teacher in there. And don't get me started on just hiring a local actor. Oh, God. Because, no. like, if you watched the show Encore, these people are used to working with trained adult actors. And watching these poor people who had not done theater since high school just break down because they were not used to this kind of vulnerability. You need to have people with trained theater education in there. Um, but... When these high poverty schools or groups of at-risk students are introduced to theater, which there was a program run by, I want to say EDTA, but I might be wrong. What is EDTA? Uh, Educational Theater Association. Okay. I think it was them, but I might be wrong. They went into several high poverty schools, uh, middle schools, and they worked with the kids and they worked with the teachers who planned to run the theater programs. The middle school students were proven to have greater confidence, resiliency, um, and a variety of other skills, including a sense of responsibility toward others. And the teachers developed all of these skills as well. Now, I'm not saying teachers didn't already have them. I'm not even saying the kids didn't already have them. But they, the amount of it went way up. And the teachers also learned better how to do this. And they kept doing it afterwards. Teachers don't automatically know how to do everything. They have to learn just like the kids. Participation in the arts of any short sort is shown to lower suspension and other disciplinary actions, which are also disproportionately common among students of color and in high poverty schools. Being in the arts will do that. I had a student who got in some trouble that normally would have been a suspendable offense. And the counselor calls me and she goes, can you come down and talk to him? He's really scared. He's going to get kicked out of the play. So I went and I was like, is he? And she goes, well, I'm technically supposed to suspend him. I'm like, 
and I got answers in Waheed. I'm like, don't suspend him. Let me handle this. And he got to stay in the play because he he messed up. Kids mess up. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, stop fucking kids over because they screw up once. Even twice. Even ten times. It's hard being a kid. You're learning how to human. Be cool. Um... Anyway, theater teachers don't expect our kids will go into theater. Though we do have some that were like, please do this forever. You are amazing and you will succeed. Um, Not that we don't think any of them will not succeed and have no chance. Well, a Mm -hmm. decent theater teacher doesn't. But it's like, this is somebody who can immediately go into this field and have success. Um, Most of us don't. But we don't want you to do this, not necessarily. We want you to enjoy this. We want you to get the skills. We don't want you to be an actor or technician. We want you to be happy. Um, but theater does have transferable skills. This isn't just you learn to do theater and then it's on and done. And it's, it's a wait, fun hobby. You mean you're not only just learning how to do a jazz square because it's a real crowd pleaser. You're learning actual practical skills. 89% of business executives were arts kids. 85% of job skills are considered soft skills, which are things like the ability to listen, improvise, and communicate well. It's a lot harder to learn soft skills as you get older, while at any age you can be sat down and taught how to code. I was brand new to my field. I'm a, I'm a writer and editor now. Brand new to it. Didn't know the ins and outs. I sat down and she, my boss taught me the stuff I didn't know. Like I already knew how to write and edit, but I didn't know how to do it for this field. I didn't know all the terminology. I was able to learn it as an adult because these are hard skills with black and white facts. If I never learned how to behave appropriately in different situations, I would not have a job. <laughs> no. And high school students who took theater are more intuitive about other people's thoughts and feelings and better at regulating their own emotions in public environments, which are all essential workplace skills. Well, I mean, most of them are. I can think of a few from high school theater who were not good at any of that. No, and nothing is universal. Like these studies never say 100%. Even the fourth grade thing was nearly 100%. You're never going to have a group that comes out meeting all of the awesome or terrible things. Like, you know, we've got those human interest stories where like they overcame their poverty to become a doctor. It's like, that's great. Could we get rid of the poverty factors uh, in Mm -hmm. schools at least so that more of them can become doctors? Like Ben Carson, first of all, not a good example in general, but also shouldn't be the only one. Uh, And then knowing that 98% of school administrators think theater is essential to improving academic skills. 90 fucking 8% of your school administrators think this is essential. So why aren't you? Why aren't you fighting for this, school administrators? Well, the the football team needs a new Jumbotron. Oh, that is a real thing that happened in a local school district. One school one school in the district had a Jumbotron donated by a wealthy parent. The other schools got jealous and they took hundreds of thousands of dollars and built Jumbotrons in all of their school football stadiums. Meanwhile, the theaters have not been updated in 30 years. And uh Guess which one of them went to state and nationals regularly was not the football teams. No. The the our theater department in our high school went to nationals on the regular because there are theater competitions that are kind of similar. Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, people only went to our football games to watch the marching band. Oh, my God. They were so good. Um, yeah. So if 98% of you school admin are so for this, why aren't you fighting for it? If you think that this is so important, why aren't you going to school board meetings where they're saying we're defunding this and fighting. When we were in high school, our superintendent for the arts was fired, Uh, not because of any wrongdoing, just for budget cuts. Meanwhile, our uh, actual superintendent was making in the not insubstantial six figures, plus had a car, plus had like unlimited vacation, plus, 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 plus. And they're firing this person, the arts administrator, to get rid to cut the budget instead of her going, you know what, I don't maybe need this car. 
Not a single school administrator was there. Hundreds of kids showed up. They still fired him. He had not done anything wrong. I want to emphasize that. Where were you, 98% of administrators? Why aren't you fighting for these kids? Not just in this, but in nothing. No. If you're in an admin going, why is she saying mean things about me? I'm doing that. You're doing that. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Go to these school board meetings. Fight for these kids. Fight for these teachers. They deserve this. Take the money from other places. I was an English teacher. If I found out that they were going to take 2% of my budget and give that so that we had a theater or a music department that we didn't otherwise have, yes, please take that. We need that. Um... But maybe it's because statistics are less convincing than stories. We can talk about statistics all day long, but a basic thing in communication is that people don't listen to statistics. They can't, we can't really wrap our heads around that. And also it doesn't pull your heartstrings. So when somebody actually manages to convince people to get their vaccines or whatever, they don't use statistics. They use the emotional aspect. Let's start with me. I moved a lot as a kid. The one constant in my life was theater. My mom always found a theater program for me to take outside of school because, you know, schools didn't have them. It was the one place I wasn't bullied. It was the one place I wasn't the weird kid. It was the one place where I felt like I was a human being that mattered. So I needed my theater. If I had had that in schools, I would have had that place every single day. I would have one class every single day that I knew I was okay in. I had that for a little while in seventh grade with my gifted class, but a lot of times that was it. I did take theater that semester. She was terrible. She was a, she was not a trained theater educator. Um, yeah, but I won't get into that. I went to college for theater. Once I graduated, I actually almost immediately got professional work. And that was not paying the bills because nothing does, especially right away. So I got a job as a second language aide. And I found out later I got the job despite having four years of Spanish and two years of Spanish in high school. I got the job because I had a theater degree, because they knew I'd find different ways to communicate with the students. Now let's talk about kids. My master's thesis was hitting a dead end. I didn't know what to do until one day we had a girl who did speak English, but she was in what's called her silent phase. And so she was so scared to get up and be in a theater class to begin with. Well, she got called up for an improv assignment and she could do her entire role without speaking. And I saw her smile so big afterwards. She was so proud of herself because she'd gotten up and she had shown them that, yes, I understand. And yes, I can do things. I am just not ready yet to use do, you do it with my voice. And that is when I knew my master's thesis was the case for the use of theater as a tool in the English as a second language classroom. Ooh. And there had not been a study done directly on that since the 60s. And there had been like a smaller study done in the 80s, but it was not as widespread. I used both of those resources. I had to go into the like dark area of the Boston Public Library to get the study that had been done in the 60s, and I could not take it with me. <laughs> I had to sit there with this study, and like it was just above white glove level. I didn't have to wear the gloves, but they were like, are your hands clean? They had a bottle of hand sanitizer for me to use periodically. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. He was over, I think, in Japan teaching English through theater. And a major problem, um, I've seen this work magic for second language learners because everybody's learning this together. This is a new language for everybody. Theater is its own language. And also a problem with an ESL class is because they have so little time is that what they learn is scripts. You say, hello, how are you? Well, the only expected answer is fine. So when they get a different answer, it can freak you out. In theater, you improv. You are put in these weird situations constantly. Observing them and participating in them helps with language acquisition. And actually, if I had gone for my doctorate, which I almost did, because uh, like I was invited to a school where I would have gotten to study with one of like the most amazing people in the fucking educational sphere. My plan was to study language acquisition uh, uh, using brain scans that had to do with the subject. Um, but improv makes such a huge difference. 
It can also be wonderful for students with disabilities. It makes me think of that song I had to sing in church in school because I was Catholic, but it's also been made really famous since then by the Pentatonics uh, called Mary, Did You Know? And um, seriously, like, it's actually pretty good. Uh, there's this part where they're talking about like, hey, Mary, do you know your kid's going to do all these amazing things? And she's like, please stop. I just finished labor. <laughs> uh, that's my interpretation of when this is happening. So there's this part where it says the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak. Now, obviously, none of these were literal in my class, but I saw theater pull off this kind of stuff. I never actually had any blind students, but I saw kids who saw theater for the first time. They'd never been to a play before. And it changed their perspectives just on life and the things that mattered to them. I had kids learn to accept each other who were different from them for the first time. They were blind to the fact that differences are okay. Um... I did have some deaf students who, of course, I didn't magically cure their deaf or hard of hearing statuses, but they learned new ways of communicating and, again, were accepted by the group. I had one. This is one of my greatest moments in education. She was almost completely deaf and second language. And so I would sit next to her in the classes and I would like like we were in middle school, pass notes to her about what was being said. I was a student teacher at the time and our teacher refused to get the microphone for her implant. But that's a whole other thing. And I came back to sub and she sees me and she runs up to me. And I want you like, this is not somebody who's from a culture where you touch people and leapt into my arms and said, because of theater and because of the fact that someone was there to help her understand it, she was going to college. She was going to college to become a preschool teacher. I was so proud of her. <laughs> and I hope that she's doing well. It's been a long time. Um the dead will live again makes me think of those students who were considered non-existent or to not matter in general. The kids who got in trouble a lot. The kids who were failing every class. They're considered basically dead to me by the schools. These kids often became my most engaged learners, the ones who would volunteer to stay late to help because they found some place where the teacher and the subject spoke to them. And the other kids were like, OK, I know you're kind of mean in English, but you seem OK here. Like. The kids accepted them. And that was a very strict rule for me is you don't have to like everybody, but you have to be kind to everybody. And I held that rule fast. You can't do that. You can't do theater without that rule. And then the dumb will speak. Remember, this isn't a word that we really use anymore, but it means you can't or don't speak. Um, I had this happen for real. I had kids who couldn't speak because of um, mutism issues. And I also had kids who had pretty significant speech impediments. Something about theater... I had a kid who spoke pretty much for the first time and even to the point where he was yelling across the classroom to his friends and this, he would leave my classroom and it would go away. But it was a start. I had kids with speech impediments and it didn't cure them, but the impediments went away when they were on stage, even in the classroom. And I had students who physically couldn't speak. You can't, theater can't magically make your, your mouth work the way the way that would allow you to do that. But they learned different ways of communication. They learned how to pantomime and use their faces and point out things and make you understand what they were saying. Theater let them do these things. Um, again, they were all accepted by the other students, which is a very big thing here. And I saw these kids grow and they were already amazing, but they became more amazing. And I am not taking credit for this. This is all theater. Theater inherently does this if you have somebody in the room who knows what theater is. Theater naturally lends itself to community building. You have to be vulnerable. And we had these in-depth conversations about social justice and school justice issues that couldn't happen in other classes because my class was not monitored as much. Nobody's in there saying, you did not follow the exact lesson plan today because a kid asked, wait, why can't girls show their shoulders? I'm going to answer that question. I'm not going to say, shut up, we need to talk about grammar. I mean, I will always talk about grammar. But... <laughs> yes, yes, she will. 
And then a big concern people have, even if they're allowing theaters, it's too competitive. Why are you cutting kids? You're breaking their hearts. Do sports not cut? What do you think job interviews are? Yeah. Now, I do think theater is for everybody. I don't think I had a, I hope I didn't have a kid except for the last year when I was only there for one year. I don't think I had a kid. I cut for every single show because you don't do that. That's not being a teacher. That's being a professional director. And that's not okay. Um, Cutting is an important part of of life. You go to a job interview, like Austin said, you're not going to get the job every time, no matter how great you thought that interview went. You're not always going to get the job. And in most cases, it's not because somebody there doesn't like you as a person. There's a billion reasons. But so they need to learn how to handle these emotional setbacks. They also need to learn how to win well. And that's what cuts in theater allow. I will admit theater can, though, drag some kids down. These are the kids who never make it in the shows. The kids who are never coached, never told, hey, I see you growing. And worse, the kids who are told, you should just quit. You'll never make it. Not that any of these were said to me by any theater teachers. And if you're listening to this and you're one of my former theater teachers, I'm not talking about you because if you're listening to this, that means you're supporting me in some way. So I'm guessing that you did this back then, too. So we're cool. Uh, But I still have some like major anxiety about certain things because of what a couple of teachers said to me. Kids, don't be like me. Don't listen to them. Don't believe them. They do not have the sway in the theater community. They are telling you that they do. If you can, go get your theater education somewhere else with someone who actually gives a shit. Parents, this is a chance for your kids to get skills and how to ask them for feedback. I'm not saying there are never reasons for parents to get involved, but my kid didn't get a part is not the time for that. Now, if you notice that they're always casting the same five people and nobody else is making it, you might want to get involved depending on your kid's age and what your kid wants. Talk to your kid first, especially if they're a high schooler. Mm -hmm. But if you notice, these same five kids are always getting parts and they're like, it's not even about my kid. It's the fact that I know 50 people auditioned. And there are 10 roles and five of them are taken by the same kids who get cast in every show. And the other five are kids who get cast in most shows. There's not, there's something wrong. You're allowed to get involved then. And to the teachers, just don't do this. You are educators first and directors second. And that goes for those of you who only run after school programs. You are still educators first. And for the love of God, stop giving leads to the same kids over and over and over. Not only does it hurt the morale of your other kids, it hurts the futures of these kids because they don't know how to lose. I have seen kids who definitely eventually would have had theater career careers. They would have made it, but they didn't know how to take the disappointment of not making it immediately. They quit. They quit, quit. They don't do this at all. So stop it. Let other kids have a chance. Let them grow. And they'll also figure it pretty fast if this is right for them, if they want to be a lead again, if they want to keep doing this. And also put kids, put actors on crew so they can stop disrespecting them. That'd be pretty great. All that said, most of us want our kids, most theater teachers want kids to develop life skills that will help them in other places. When I interviewed for my last teaching job, I decided to not play the game because the places I'd worked had clearly been a wrong fit. So I was like, I'm going to be 100% myself. And they asked, what do you want your kids to, what skills do you want your kids to get out of your class? And I sat for a second and then I said, I'm going to be frank. I don't care if they learn nothing about theater, whether they're with me for one semester or for all three years. I just want them to leave my classroom a little bit kinder. And I got that job because that's what a th- that's what theater is about. It is not about acting and building sets. It's about becoming a better person, becoming the best you that you can be. Life is all improvised. Theater teaches improv. Studies have been done on the benefits of theater in schools. People in business and science say these skills have helped them in their fields. It is not time 
wasted. This is time building soft skills. We have the statistics, we have the facts, not the opinions, and yet it keeps getting cut from schools. And this is a problem and we should vote accordingly. Bravo. Are you ready for your questions? I am ready for my questions. Okay, this is, will this be on the test for our newcomers? If you're just popping in for the first time, we ask questions about whether or not something would be on a test over this subject, not the answer to the question. Will this be on the test? Most business executives were arts students. Yeah, that will be on a test because we love our business executives. The ability to communicate is an essential part of science and math. Yes. Oh, I guess I did cut that out. Sorry. Um... I am a writer now, as I mentioned, and you'd be amazed at the number of people in my field who are, are former theater people to the point where they made a career out of it for a while because theater lets us communicate on an emotional level that other people can understand. They'll understand why it's important that we know what the nucleus is at an emotional level. They can write it because they have been every person at some point. Uh, theater has been proven to increase success among high-risk students. Yes. Nearly all administrators think theater is essential, but almost no schools have theater. Oh, you cannot criticize your administrators. No, that will not be on the test. And arts have been proven to improve test scores and graduation rates. Yes, that will be on the test. All right. That is my topic for this week. Ooh, that was three pages shorter than usual. How far over did I go? Let me look. It's only been 50 minutes. Jesus Christ. We did talk for longer than usual. We did. But it's okay. Um, I've actually got one that's kind of shorter. It wasn't the one I was planning on doing, mm -hmm. but I can do it anyway. Okay. No, you can't. We're done. Oh, okay. Episode over. So... Uh, we've been doing this podcast for two, two years now, mm -hmm. and um, I am allowed once per year to talk about a sports subject, even though they annoy Maddie, and I should know better. I did bluegrass to him last time, it's fair. So I'm going to talk about a sports thing that might also just be a myth. I'm going to play a game on my phone. <laughs> but it also might be a publicity stunt. I'm going to talk about a 1931 exhibition match in baseball in which... A uh, the pitcher struck out the best members of the Yankees, and she was only 17. Okay, I think I actually know about this. Yep, that's right. A lady played baseball. Not even a lady, a underaged lady. A feisty, a high schooler. A feisty teen played baseball. This is like Katniss, but instead of a bow and arrow, she had a ball and glove. And also there weren't like weird monsters trying to eat. Mm -hmm. And nobody died. Well, Probably. I mean, most of them are dead. It was 1931. They are dead now, but it's not related to a Hunger Games. And with the exception of that one time when we watched A League of Their Own in gym class when it was raining and um, they were refinishing the gym floor so he couldn't be in the gym either. So they just sat us down. We watched A League of Their Own. We don't learn about the ways that women contributed to baseball. Um, there was another actor slated to play Gina Davis's part in that movie. I can't remember who it was. It was somebody with a bigger name than Gina Davis. And when they found out Madonna had been cast in it, they dropped out. Oh, wow. And I'm like, you know, that episode of Scrubs where he's got the opera singer singing Mistake behind him. I hope that she has that now. Because, yeah, Madonna not shouldn't be an actor. No. But that movie is brilliant. Austin, were you with me when we saw the, late, the staged production of it? No. Oh, my God. It was so good. So, yeah, I'm going to be talking about that pitcher who struck out the Yankees, Jackie Mitchell. Okay. Uh, her actual, her birth name was... Uh, Vern Beatrice, the nickname was Jackie Mitchell. Uh, she, at the age of 17, was a pitcher for the Chattanooga, Tennessee Lookouts. And this wasn't actually as unusual as it sounds. Because, like, in the 30s, baseball was really, really popular. Like, and because TV hadn't been invented yet, if you wanted to watch a baseball game, you had to watch it live. 
And that meant every town or mining camp or Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. had a baseball team. And there were hundreds of these small teams and dozens of informal leagues all over America. And in lots of those, women played. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, are you here to tell me, Austin, that women could play baseball even now? Even now. And in addition to all of these like local teams, there were traveling teams and barnstormer teams, which were like kind of showy teams that would just like, like the Harlem Globetrotters almost. They'd come in, they'd put on a show using sports. And it was usually like kind of gimmicky and it was mm-hmm. just... You mean like every Royals game? Yeah. And it would involve like, it used to involve like the professionals from like the big league games. Because in the off season, they just go tour with these teams and just play baseball. Well, uh, the, eventually baseball got big enough that they, they put a stop to it in their contracts. It's like, no, you play yeah. for us only. We can't have you losing to some like farm team in the middle of nowhere and then coming back to play for us and they can brag about how we beat you. It'll be bad for our image. I read that Billy Butler, who was a uh, professional baseball player here in Kansas City for a while. He's, I think, in Arizona now. He is no longer a professional player, but I read that he plays for like a community baseball team. Like, you know, those teams of dads. <laughs> I read that's what he does now. Like he has a normal job and he plays baseball for just like a little local team, not yeah. even a minor league team. Yeah, just, I hope that's true. I, I hope so, too. Remember that time he stole a base and he looked more surprised than anybody else? Yes. <laughs> if you have not watched Billy Butler steals a base, you should like YouTube it. It's amazing because he was a designated hitter. He wasn't really supposed to be running, right? Yeah. No, he was not. So now these, these, I was talking about these, they'd have gimmicks. Like there was one called the Bloomer Girls, which was just an all female team that would compete against professional teams. Were they called the Bloomer Girls because of very short skirts that showed their bloomers? No, they were, uh, bloomers weren't like what they are now. They were like just the billowy pants. Did they wear those? Yeah, they wore those. Because those are like technically underwear. Yep. And uh, then there was an all Jewish team called the House of David. Hmm. Uh, There was, they all had, basically they had beards and they would have and long hair and forelocks, but a lot of the players weren't actually Jewish. Uh, uh, Satchel Page actually se- played for them. For a second there, I was like, wow, I'm really impressed that the name wasn't offensive because I was expecting it to be something gimmicky. And like, oh, this is cool. It's like largely Hasidic. No, apparently it's a lie. No, it was largely Jewish, um, but they would get play- again. Satchel Page played for them. He was not Jewish. He later became an MLB player. Is that right? Uh, he was in the Negro Leagues. Right. Um. They would, yeah, they would go around, they'd play major league teams, minor league teams, they'd play against uh, the Negro League teams, and they'd have these exhibition matches where they were just... Wait, these teams are playing against the Negro League teams? Yeah, because they weren't, like, they weren't an official part of a league. No, it's just like, you and I actually did learn a little about the Negro Leagues when we were young, because they were actually a very important part of Kansas City history, and that was never mentioned. Oh, no, they would... Yeah. Again, some of their pl- some of those players from the Kansas City Monarchs would play in this team. Now, is that the name of our local uh, minor league team now? Did they change it yes. from the T-Bones to the Monarchs? They did. Very cool. And again, they, would, they were like the Harlem Globetrotters. And they'd also use, the House of David would use these games as a way to kind of evangelize their face, faith and combat anti-Semitism. Because this was around the time in which anti-Semitism was more rampant than it is even now. And people like Henry Ford were doing their best to spread it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, these teams fell out of popularity because they'd stop you know, allowing them to play the professional ones. Then, of course, there were the minor league teams like the Chattanooga Sentinels that Jackie played for. And, you know, these were professional teams that were just in smaller markets and they'd play smaller games, smaller salaries. And they were used as kind of like farm teams for the major league teams like mm-hmm. the Yankees and Giants. So, yeah, uh, Jackie was actually born in Chattanooga. Her father was Dr. Joseph Mitchell. 
he uh, took her to baseball games basically from the time she should, could walk and mm-hmm. she loved them. Mm-hmm. And uh, her neighbor just happened to be a uh, professional pitcher named da- Dazzy Vance. What a great name. We've gotten rid of all the yeah. good names. Uh, he, Hall of Fame pitcher. And he taught her how to pitch, including her devastating breaking ball, which is a pitch where it goes forward and then drops at the plate. So it's really hard to predict where it's going to go or if it's even... She was very good at that pitch. And so she actually got a job playing for a women's professional team called the Chattanooga Angelettes. Mm-hmm. Angelettes? Angle. Angle? E-N-G-E-L. Because oh. uh, the owner was named Joe Angle. Oh, okay. And while she was playing, um, the owner, Joe Angle, actually likes it. Oh, she's good. So he signed her to the Lookouts, the professional team, a about a week before they had this exhibition match against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And he, okay, he did have a, like, a reputation for using gimmicks to draw people into crowds because it was 1931. It was the Depression. He was like, we need something to get people in these seats. A, wo- a woman pitching in a professional game would be a big draw. Mm-hmm. And so... We had that, that Carl Monet, like, 10, 15 years ago, who won the Little League World Series because her school actually let her play baseball. Yeah. And then she, even she, she went into, I think, to be a professional softball player because the major leagues wouldn't let her in. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, she's better than all of you. Oh, yes. So anyway, also, uh, fun fact, uh, Jackie was not the first uh, professional woman baseball player in the in the big leagues. She was the second. The first one was Lizzie Arlington, who played in Pennsylvania in 1898. So this game, April 2nd, 1931, it was her first game on the team. And the lookouts were playing against the New York Yankees, which were the powerhouse of baseball. They were they were the mitochondria. Of they baseball. were the mitochondria of baseball. They were uh, they had won the World Series most recently in 1928, and they'd win again the next time in 1932. So they were a good team, and they had some of the biggest names in baseball even to this day. They had Babe Ruth. They had Lou Gehrig. They just had everyone and. The first pitcher, the first pitcher, goes up and gives up two hits on his first two from the first two batters in the first inning. So the coach pulled him and put in Jackie against the Yankees' third at bat, Babe Ruth, who had hit the most home runs in the league every year for the last few years. He held the record for home runs. He had already won six World Series and again would win in 1932. This is the guy who signed that baseball that Smalls hit into the yard with the big dog in it in the sandlot. Mm-hmm. It's that guy. Uh, she struck him out in four pitches. The final pitch um, looked like it was going to be outside, and it came just barely in, and the umpire called it a strike, and Babe Ruth was pissed because he thought it was a ball. Um, he threw down his bat, he threw a tantrum, and stormed off to the dugout to pout because he was a baby man-child. He kind of looked like Billy Butler, if I remember right. Yeah, very... Uh, he was an he was an old timey athlete, meaning he was just a large guy, and he he was not he was not thin. Yeah, Billy, I always liked Billy Butler. Oh yeah, Billy Butler is funny. Country breakfast. Country that breakfast. Was... There we go. I was trying to think of it. I could hear you thinking. So then, after she struck out Babe Ruth, uh, Lou Gehrig came up to bat. He was nicknamed the Iron Horse of Baseball just because he never stopped. Like he. I think he played like the most consecutive games up until Cal Ripken Jr. broke his record in the 90s. I remember that. Believe it or not, I actually paid, I've actually always paid some attention to baseball. And he was, again, Babe Ruth was a good hitter. 
Lou Gehrig was right behind him. They were actually end up tying for home runs in the following 1931 season. And uh, he's also probably best known now for having ALS. At the time called Lou Gehrig's disease. At the time called Lou Gehrig's disease. There's a movie. Uh, there are many Pride movies. of the Yankees. Yep. And uh, this was also long before we had the ice bucket challenge, which you could probably blame him for. Well, he comes up to bat and she struck him out too. Three pitches. Uh, she uh, ended up walking the next batter and the coach pulled her and put in a new pitcher. And the lookouts ended up losing the game uh, 14 to 4. He pulled her because he wa- she walked somebody or yeah. because she'd already pitched enough? She she walked somebody. He thought, okay, it's like we're going to pull her out. She's new. She just struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. So, but okay, leaving her out there would psych them out. Yeah, like he yeah, he should have left her. The uh, next day, the headline of the New York Times was about how a 17 year old girl struck out two of the strongest batters in Major League Baseball, and that was also her last game in organized baseball. Jeez. Because the commissioner of baseball decreed that the next day that women could not pr- play professional baseball, and her contract was thrown out because it hurt the boys' feelings. Yeah, it did. Um. Babe Ruth actually said in an interview after this game, I don't know what's going to happen if they begin to let women in baseball. Because they're better than us. Of course, they'll never make good. Why? Because they're too delicate. It would kill them to play ball every day. They played ball every day already. Yeah, they did. Yes, they did. You know what's funny is I actually really enjoyed baseball and I didn't suck at it. I suck at softball. Um, Like I played in PE and stuff and I actually might have played Little League if they'd let girls play like if I knew I could eventually go on to play baseball, but I hated softball. Um, yeah. No, I was not a bad uh, batter and I was not a bad shortstop. So if they, if our high school team had let girls on, you and I could have played baseball together. We could have. Except I, they wouldn't have ever let me on the team because I was bad. But we actually did have one girl get on the football team. Yes. Uh, she like fought them on it, got on the football team and then broke her leg the first game. Oh, yep. So oh, by the way, it's worth noting that uh, Babe Ruth was kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, he cheated on his wife with dozens of women, mm-hmm. had a short temper, mm-hmm. uh, didn't recognize his illegitimate children, mm-hmm. and uh, he refused to grant his wife a divorce because it would make him look bad. Yep. So kind of a jerk. So uh, after this happened, too, it came out that like, some players and officials were saying that the entire thing was a setup, that the lookout manager wanted them to drum up some publicity with this girl pitcher by striking out some of the biggest names in baseball. With Babe Ruth's little tantrum, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, and it said that he had done similar gimmicky things in the past, so they kind of held the water a little bit. And um, when she came up to bat, Jackie did spend some time posing for the press, including doing things like powdering her nose and checking her makeup in the mirror before like well, stepping is, up to pitch. Women would do that now if they got into the major leagues. They'd be like, oh, all right, yeah, I'm yeah. still a woman so, and I can still kick your asses. So. Yeah, she got up there and she put... she she put on a bit of a show so that oh yeah this is just a gimmick like she never... we, we still say the whole backwards and in heels thing to be like yeah, yeah we still have these expectations on us but we are doing this better than and you in harder ways even though they said it was a setup and that like they intended to strike them out um lou, uh, uh, lou Gehrig and babe ruth also claimed that they were worried about hitting the ball too hard into her so it was making them hard hard for them to concentrate because they didn't want to hit her with the with a ball and end up hurting her because ladies are delicate. Did they typically hit the pitchers with the balls when they hit? Not very often. Because if these are the home run champs, aren't they hitting it a little high and far away? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. That sounds to me like our, like we were thinking, should we hit her with the ball? This is embarrassing. Maybe we should hit her yeah. with it. So, yeah, that there was that. But, but there's also a lot going for her actually striking them out. Uh, firstly, Garrigan and Ruth 
were both strong hitters, but they also struck out a lot, uh, especially Babe Ruth. He would swing big and try and hit home runs, and he would str- he struck out a lot more than his reputation would suggest. Uh, and also, Jackie was a left-handed pitcher, and both Gehrig and Babe Ruth were left-handed batters, which statistically, uh, left-handed pitchers are more likely to strike out left-handed batters. It's is it the same with right-handed pitchers yeah. and right batters? Yeah, same thing. So it's it's like it works out a little bit better for this left-handed pitcher against a left-handed. They were batter. all allowed to be left-handed yeah. in the 1930s. They were allowed to be left-handed. Oh, please, it made you better at baseball. Of course, they were allowed to be. So yeah, she had that slight advantage, and she actually did have a long career playing baseball after this, where she struck out better batters than both of them. Because remember when I mentioned the House of David earlier? Mm-hmm. It comes back up because she ended up playing for them for years. Did she have to wear a fake beard? Or she did wear a fake beard oh as a God. gimmick. Oh my God. No, but she'd, she'd take it in some games. Okay. She'd wear the fake beard because they knew it was a woman, but she'd wear the fake beard because it was funny. Okay. Because it was, again, it was, like the Harlem Glo- it was like the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. But she was a serious pitcher and they would still play games against like, you know, Negro League teams. And she struck out better hitters than Babe Ruth mm-hmm. very frequently. Like even she went up until her death in 1986. She was in, she insisted. It's like, no, no, that was legit. I struck them out. Like they couldn't hit me. How long was she playing in the minors? Uh, like up until the thirties. Oh, wait, in the thirties. I think she played like until like around the end of the forties. She did not want to play in the women's baseball league that they had in yeah. a league of their own. Because she said, no, I want to play serious baseball. I think she barely missed my grandpa. Yeah. Because my grandpa was a minor league player. He was also a pitcher. And of course, uh, there is actually film footage of her striking out Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. But it's pretty low quality. Yeah. And it doesn't definitively show if, like, she struck them out or, like, if, like, they were pulling their swings or anything. So we don't know for sure. And baseball historians are kind of divided. Because it's like, it's like... we. Most of them say, we can't know for sure. Some of them say, oh, of course she couldn't have struck them out. She's a girl because there's always those old guys. And some guys are like, she probably struck them out based on all this other stuff. Yeah. Like based on what you're telling me here and the reactions of Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth both, I feel like it was legit. Like if she had struck out some other pitchers instead or other batters instead, I feel like their reactions might've been like a little bit more believable actually. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of it being a, um, a gimmick. Cause they were like, well, she was better than us. They'd be like, Oh, gimmick. And I could see that, but yeah. Babe Ruth throwing a tantrum and then pulling the allowance of this the following day. It doesn't really yeah. sound like a gimmick. It sounds like Babe Ruth complained to the commissioner. And of course, uh, women were still banned. It would remain, would remain banned from playing in professional baseball until the 1990s. Yeah, it's like, I think they're not banned, but no. they're not, they're not banned, but they, you know, it's like, She's just not good enough for the team. Yeah. We finally do have a female football coach. Yeah. Um, I think there might be two now. So like, at least we're starting to see, like, we do have women who can, like, I think we'll end up with a female baseball coach before we'll end up with a female player. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, they can do the exact same work. Like, if you look at baseball, it's not like you have to be seven feet tall. And yeah. you know, there are women ba- base basketball players who should be on in the regular teams and I read the other day that, and tell me if this is true, women's soccer players are finally getting paid the same as, male, as men's. I don't know. I remember that there's like, not a, there's something going on with women's soccer right now that's, I just, I just saw a headline and didn't read it. Yeah, it kind of comes down to like, we're winning more than you guys, so maybe you should show us some respect. <laughs> yes. We actually win. Maybe you should pay us. Like, maybe you should let us on the same teams. 
Yeah. I mean, that's how it works a lot, even through high school. You don't always have enough kids for separate teams. So, so yeah, that was my little thing about baseball and Jackie Mitchell. Because I anticipated you'd go long, so I made a short one. I cut out like three or four pages. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. We are back, folks. We are very much back. So are you ready for your questions? I am. Will the House of David be on the test? No. Will uh, women playing professional baseball before World War II be on the test? Yeah, I think so. And will Maddie's audible eye roll when I mention sports be on the test? No, but I think the fact that I actually kind of followed baseball might be on the test. Ooh, yeah. I've always been, I actually did care about who won the Mark McGuire versus um, Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa thing. I was rooting for Sammy the whole time. Me too. Even and it turns out I was right. They were both just chalked to the gills with steroids. But not, I think Mark McGuire was more, wasn't he? Yeah. And like, that's uncool, guys. It's very uncool. But I was rooting for Sammy Sosa the whole time. There was something about Mark McGuire that rubbed me the wrong and way. Plus, I mean, let's say, uh, Sammy Sosa, he played for the Cubs? I believe so. And McGuire played for the Cardinals? I genetically can't root for the Cardinals. I grew up, um, genetically, I have to root for the for the uh, Red Sox. But I grew up, I was, I'm from St. Louis. So I went to Cardinals games first as a kid, just like I went to uh, Blues games first. Dude, God, I love hockey. All the, all the violence. So great. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I do enjoy baseball to the extent that I can enjoy sports in general. Um, the Royals are gimmicking because they lost so much for so long and they didn't have that like historic following that, say, the Red Sox did, who also lost so much for so long. Um, and don't don't the Royals end up having some of the best hitters in the league usually because we've got one of the biggest stadiums and uh, some of the best hitters and some of the best outfielders. Yeah, because they have to be like on their game because the outfield is massive. Yep. You know, like they go to Fenway and they're like just hitting at people's houses, people's apartments across the street. Like, <laughs> God damn it. That's actually a, a little uh, joke on uh, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody because Maddie lives above Fenway Park <laughs> and they can throw her peanuts because that that is how close a apartments are more or less to Fenway. You live in Fenway. Is what wow. That's um, kind of that's It's an area cool. of Boston is called Fenway and you, you it is the stadium is in the middle of the fucking city and there are just apartments people live in their lives yeah. around it. Can you imagine how annoying that would get? During baseball season. I mean, you've got public transport, so it'd be less annoying than like around here. Oh, more annoying? Not as bad as during uh, football season. Ugh, Patriots fans. Uh, I did. I liked going to Yankees. Yankees I, I actually like going to the Yankees-Red Sox games the most. Uh, the rivalry is not as angry as you would imagine, actually. Well, it's like, okay, it's because every team has, an, has a rivalry to some extent with the Yankees. Nobody likes the Yankees. But the Yankees-Red Sox is like the rivalry. But everybody's nice at these games and like. I really enjoy them. If we ever go to Boston, I'll take you to Fenway because it is an experience that you should have. And it's very different from any Midwestern game I've ever been to. Okay. Because it is, this is old fashioned baseball. They still have like the old seats. The stadium is tiny. It's like, a, it's got, it, when you get in, it's like its own little town. It's <laughs> it's bananas. So boy, we're, we are back. We are back. First episode after our we break. We will continue to be back. Uh, we are still planning on recording on the week that we'll be out of, out in New York. Uh, we're deciding how we're going to do that. What it's going to look like. Might be different. Might be the same. We don't know. Yeah. We'll find out. And then, as a reminder, we had our music at the beginning. You can find her on Fiverr. It's N-I-L-G-U-N-O-Z-E-R. That's N as in Nancy at the beginning. N-I-L-G-U-N as in Nancy. O-Z-E-R. She's on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you can find her. She's amazing to work with. And we have an abundance of chicken wings downstairs from the party yesterday. 
And as always, I'm going to end this episode by saying I'm hungry and want to go eat and watch a movie. Let's go eat and watch a movie. So on that note, class class dismissed. dismissed.